The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Relationships breaking up, or us being disappointed in relationships. All sorts of fears and manner of fears come against us, and we understand that. And so there is a sense in which we understand fear, and yet when it comes to God, do we understand what it is to fear God? We looked last week, and it was mentioned on the video, two characters in the Bible, Isaiah and the Apostle John. Both of those people had encounters with God where they literally feared God. Isaiah, when he saw God, when he had this vision, he saw the throne of God filled with the presence of God, and it says that he suddenly said, I'm doomed. What am I to do? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He suddenly saw himself for who he was in the presence of God, and there was literally a sharp intake of breath as it were, what am I to do? And that's what it's like to fear God. There's something about, who is this character? What is this awesome God? The Apostle John said the same. He turned to hear this voice behind him, and when he turned to see this man, he saw one that was like the Son of Man, and he fell at his feet, it says, as though dead. There was something so awesome about the presence of Jesus Christ that John could do nothing but just fell down before him. The power, the majesty, the glory of this God. So this is what we're trying to put across. But somehow our minds seem to resist it. Don't you find your mind seems to resist this thought? Fearing God? I don't know whether I want to fear God. That seems a bit strange. So there's a sense in which we tend to come away from it. But what we're trying to make understandable to us is this, that to fear God is somehow to sense the awesome nature of his character, to be in reverence of him. To see him and literally to have that moment. This is God. I hadn't understood that that is how majestic, how wonderful you are. That's what we're trying to get across to us. That's what we're trying to understand. And today we want to move on into this. Not just understanding what the fear of God is, but today fear God, the beginning of all wisdom. Fear God, the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. It says that in Proverbs 1, verse 7. And if we go on to our next one, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is what the Bible tells us. So the fear of the Lord actually does something for us. It's the very beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Okay, let's start with some basic understanding. What is knowledge? When we go to the dictionary and look at what it describes as knowledge, it says this. Knowledge is where you are acquainted with facts, truths, or principles from study or investigation. Knowledge is where you are conversant with a particular branch of learning. Knowledge is where you have a familiarity gained by insight or experience where you have a clear and certain mental understanding about something. For instance, if you've got a smartphone, knowledge is when you actually know how to use it, okay? 
Knowledge of somebody who's a shepherd is understanding how to look after sheep. Knowledge of somebody who is a scientist is knowing how to do their science stuff. Knowledge of somebody as a teacher is to know how to teach pupils. There's all sorts of knowledge. Knowledge as a musician is you know how to play an instrument and you know how to lead music. There's all sorts of knowledge that we can have all across various subjects, but that is knowledge. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. That's knowledge, but what about wisdom? Wisdom, the dictionary says this, wisdom is where you have knowledge... So it means you understand knowledge of what is true or right. Wisdom is where you have the understanding of what is true or what is right. And that you know how to use that with the correct judgment. That's wisdom. Wisdom is when you bring forth wise words. In other words, when you counsel other people with the knowledge of what is true and right. That is wisdom. And where is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says? The beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, Scripture is telling us that the starting place for knowledge, the starting place for wisdom, is that we fear the Lord. That's the place where we want to begin. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you want to grow in knowledge and wisdom? If we were to ask for a show of hands, you'd feel embarrassed not to put your hand up, wouldn't you, really? Uh, I don't want to grow in wisdom. I don't want to... No, of course you do. We want to grow in knowledge and wisdom. We want to actually excel in those things. But you see, the Bible tells us, well, okay, the starting point of that is the fear of the Lord. The starting point of those things is that we come before God. And you see, in today's society, that's not quite so palatable. That has problems. Of course, generally speaking, people want to have more knowledge and they want to have more wisdom. But there's a problem really about giving ourselves to something else if we're going to receive that. And there's a problem in actually in our society of understanding what truth really is. You know, each year the Oxford English Dictionary come up with their word of the year. And this isn't necessarily a completely new word that has come into the language. It might be an old word that is being used again, maybe in a slightly different manner. And so they look at the usage of English across the newspaper, the media, and all that sort of thing. And at the end of the year, they come up with what their word of the year was. For instance, in 2016, one of the words that was used for consideration was Brexiteer referring to somebody who was uh, behind the Brexit. And you can understand what I mean. Oh, okay, that's a word. Yeah, that's a new word. We understand that. But that was rejected. So what was the word that was used in the Oxford English Dictionary for the word of the year in 2016? Well, after much debate, the word was declared to be post-truth. Post-truth. And this is what they say, a post-truth is an adjective defined as denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or personal belief. Now, I know that when, you're, when I'm reading it out, it's quite a lot of words. When you're listening to it, you're thinking, like, okay, I haven't caught any of that. So let me just bring that into something that we can understand and simplifying what they're saying. What they're saying is this, we are now living in a society 
Because this is what this post-truth, we're living in a post-truth society. And post-truth society is where we elevate our personal preferences and opinions over facts and truth. We're in a dangerous place, folks. You see, truth is good. And everybody wants truth. So we want knowledge and wisdom. And we want to know truth. But not when it starts to impinge upon what we feel like doing. So if I want to marry whoever I want to marry, if I want to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with, if I want to declare my sexuality in whatever form I care to consider, then I don't want truth coming against me or what people define as truth because what is truth? It no longer fits with what I want. So now I am in a post-truth situation where actually my preferences for what I want and what I want to have and the freedom that I want to be able to operate with becomes more important than what truth is. And this is the society which we are living in. And we know it. And we've seen the shift and we've seen the change that's come about because we're reading it day by day in our newspapers. But this is the society in which we live. It's called a post-truth society. So here we are saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And yet we have a society that's saying, hang on a second, does it fit with what I want to do? You see, there's a difficulty in what we're trying to put across here. We're in a society that is fighting, in one sense, against truth, is not really wanting that. If it's not what I personally want or what I personally think, then maybe it's not truth. And you see, this is the problem we have in our society now where we come back and there is no absolute truth. Truth becomes what I feel is truth. So what are we looking at this morning? What we're looking at this morning is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is knowing about what is truthful and what is right. That is why this is an important subject for us to look upon. We've got two points we're going to look at today. The present problem. The present problem. Well, I've already described in one sense what the present problem is that's facing us. But there's something more than that. The present problem is corrupted wisdom. Corrupted wisdom. We don't know, really, what is true and right. What is true and right is what I feel is true and right. Well, but that changes for whoever you're talking to. Is there nothing that we can hang on to? You see, our wisdom has become corrupted. And when we talk of the word corrupted, we're talking of this. Something has become tainted. Something has become infected. Something has become perverted. That is, means it has gone away from the right place. It's become perverse from what is true. Where does all this stem from? It goes right back to a guardian cherub called Lucifer, known as the morning star, the bringer of light. And we can read about him in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. In Ezekiel 28, it says of Lucifer, who of course is Satan, it says of Satan this, you were the model of perfection, listen, full of wisdom. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Full of, what are we saying wisdom is? Full of truth and what is right. This is who Satan was. The model of perfection, full of wisdom. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, 
Because God says, for so I ordained you. You were on the mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. In heaven, in the heavenly places, there was Lucifer, this angel of light, this spiritual being that was there before God, which was full of perfection and full of beauty, full of wisdom. That which is right and that which is true was there before the presence of God, ordained as a guardian cherub by God. And yet, in his heart, he thought, hang on a second, why can't I be like God? Why can't I take that position? In Isaiah 14, it gives a little more insight where it talks of Lucifer saying, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly, on the utmost, utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Listen, here is a truth that we need to understand. The moment that we take our eyes off Jesus Christ, off God, the moment we lose our focus off him and our focus comes only on ourselves when we can only start to see who we are and ourselves, then everything starts to revolve around us instead of revolving around him. And it becomes self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is the sin of our society. Self-centeredness is the sin of my life, the sin of your life as well. Because we just care about ourselves. And that's exactly what happened to Satan. He suddenly took his eyes off God, as it were, and said, hang on a second, what about me? Don't we ever think like that sometimes in our relationships? Don't you find that when we start to think like that in our relationships, how things start to skew out? You know, the issue with marriage is that we've got to stop thinking about me and start thinking about the other person. That's the challenge of a marriage relationship. And we know often we feel that, hang on a second, what about me? Yes, that's that's a lot of people thinking that because, yeah, I can think that. I can see it on your faces. We do think that. You see, that becomes because suddenly it's, well, hang on, what about me? I now matter more than my partner. As soon as we take our eyes off something else, we start looking at ourselves. As soon as we start looking at ourselves, self-centeredness starts to whir around us. And that is exactly what happened to Lucifer in heaven. I want to be like God. When you think of the dumbness of this, all wisdom, all knowledge, all perfection, all glory was around him all the time. What caused him to say, I want to be above God? I don't know what it was. But something did. I need to point out something. As soon as that happened, he was cast out of heaven. As soon as that happened. One thing that I always think of when I come back to this is the fact that, you know, like, as soon as it happened, he's out. Because God is above every power and authority. He is the highest authority that has ever been and that has stood throughout eternity and it shall stand throughout eternity. There is no one like our God. That is true. 
He has all power, all authority. So as soon as he saw the sin that happened in Satan and those angels that were with him, they were cast out of heaven to earth. Like that. Our God is in control. You, but let's just think of this. David in Psalm 15 says this, Who may dwell? Who may dwell with you, O Lord? Who may dwell in your sanctuary, he says? Who may live on your holy hill? This was the place where Satan was living. It says, He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. That was the place and that is the requirement to be in that place. And so as soon as corruption was found in the heart of Satan, he had to be thrown out of heaven to earth. He arrives, as it were, on the earth. And of course we break into that when we're reading in Genesis chapter 3 of the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't if we go back to chapter 2 of Genesis, we read there that Adam was told an instruction from God. God commanded him, you are free to eat from any tree that is in the garden except for the one that's in the centre of the garden. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then when we come into chapter 3, we have that interaction between the serpent. Here is Satan depicted as a serpent upon the earth, and he was talking to Eve, and he says to Eve, you know, are you allowed to eat from every tree in the garden? She says, oh, no, there's, there's one tree that we must not eat. We can eat, trees, we can eat fruit from every other tree, but not that one. God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree, she said, that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. The serpent just says to her, you will not surely die when you eat of that. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and it also says, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Whose wisdom? Whose wisdom? The wisdom of God or corrupted wisdom? When she saw it was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now we know at that point, death did enter. It entered into the whole system of mankind. What is wisdom? Wisdom, the knowledge of what is right or true. And what wisdom had Eve gained on eating that fruit? It was corrupted wisdom. It was no longer what God wanted. It was corrupted. Corrupted by who? By Satan. In John chapter 8, verse 44, we read of this. Jesus was talking to Pharisees about Satan, or saying to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That was the wisdom that Eve was eating of. That was the wisdom that she was receiving. Deception. Lies. No truth, but lies. 
That's what she was taking hold of. And that is the problem that we are facing in our society today, that there is a corrupted wisdom that is being spread abroad. There's a corrupted wisdom that we are embracing and looking at, and it has an effect upon us. When you go to Romans chapter 1, Paul starts to explain these things. He says, they, this is talking about his society, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And that's what happens today. We start worshipping other things other than God. Who is God? Can God be trusted? Isn't God that one who just tells us what you can't do? And you know what? That doesn't fit in with what I want. I want to do, well, I'll tell you what. I want to do what I want to do as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. This is what people say. As long as it doesn't cause any harm to anybody else. Every sin hurts the heart of God. Every sin hurts the heart of God. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Folks, this is what has happened. This is what happens to us. When we enter into corrupted wisdom, which incidentally is being broadcast every moment of every day through our televisions, through our phones. The media contains so much corrupted wisdom. It's interesting that in America you have Donald Trump, who appears in the news every day, because it's the most exciting thing the Americans have had for ages. What is he complaining about? He hates the fact that there's corrupted wisdom, is what he declares in the press. Now, I know that there's, he's arguing about some things which, you know, that he's obviously got wrong. I know there's an element of that. But here he is, he's standing up and saying, I don't like this corrupted wisdom. There's another thing going through Facebook about the whole issue of the American election. How many false facts are being put out there? Do we know what is true or what is right? Folks, listen to me today. The reason that we are here studying this subject today is because of what the Word of God says to us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. We've got to go, well, how do we fear the Lord? This is the point we must come to. How do we fear the Lord? We've looked at the problem. The problem is corrupted wisdom. Let's look at the second point which is the biblical solution. Because we want to find the right position. The right position for us is that we learn to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Oh, just a second. I remember I looked into this word fool, because obviously I felt it was somewhat like myself. The Hebrew word translated fool denotes one who is morally deficient, one who despises wisdom, one who mocks when guilty, one who is quarrelsome, one who is licentious. That's what a fool is. What is a fool? Somebody who is ignoring the ways of the Lord. That's in essence what it is saying. One who is morally deficient, well, to a degree we're all fools, aren't we? But one who despises wisdom. Wisdom is the truth, the right way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it 
leads in destruction. We need to follow the narrow way, which is God's way. For us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If we want to find true wisdom and knowledge, then we need to increase our fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 6. It gives us five actions that we need to look at from those scriptures. First of all, accept my words. Not my words, but his words. Accept my words. Boy, we, we need to take hold of that. Accept. You know when you're reading this and you think, oh, hang on a second. No, hang on. I, and you want to give an interpretation? Or you want to think that that applies to somebody else, not you? You know when that happens? It, okay, it happens to me. Okay, it happens to me. God is saying, I want you to accept my words. I want you to receive this for what it is. This is the revealed word of God. It is the truth. All of us need to have something to anchor our lives upon because everywhere else is shifting sand. The starting place is will you accept the word of the Lord? Will you receive it into your life? Will you take hold of it? Will you believe it? Will you wrestle with it? Will you struggle with it? Will you seek to understand it? But above all, will you just say, look, okay, I'm going to stop rejecting. I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop arguing. I'm going to stop the resistance. I'm just going to say, okay, enough. Silence every other voice. Lord, what have you got to say to me? And to accept his words. Man doesn't live on food only, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Jesus said. Every word. Will you receive the word or will you reject the word? How does it show that you receive the word? Do you read it? Are you taking it on board? Or are you running away from it? Is it an annoyance? Is it a frustration? Is it too much for you? Whatever it might be. The beginning for us to fear the Lord is that we need to accept his word. If we're not going to accept his word, we're going to have problems growing in the fear of the Lord. That's what it's saying. There's no shortcuts, but let's delight ourselves. Your word is sweeter than honey. Your commands are good. They bring light. The entrance of your word brings light to us. Let's accept his word. We resist it, but we want to receive his word. So accepting his word is the first action that we need to undertake. Secondly, it is this, storing up God's commands. Taking hold of his instructions and his promises. So we're not just reading the word, but we're actually saying, God, what is it that you are saying to us? So when God says, I want you to love me with all of your heart, I want to love your neighbor as yourself, those are commands that he's giving. 
I want you to love others as I have loved you. They're commands that he's issuing. They're information that he's giving out to us. We want to store up the commands that he's giving to us. But we also want to store up his promises. What promises are you giving to me? I promise that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You have promised, O God. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. You have promised, O God. We're storing up his commands. We're storing up his promises within us. That is what we're instructed to do. Accept his words and store up his commands. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says this, through these, that is through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and gracious, precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, there's something that happens that when we store up his commands, when we store up his promises, when we take hold of them, and storing them up is that you can bring them out when necessary. Just like a store cupboard at home. The idea of a store cupboard at home is when you have the unexpected, there is the supply. So when the person comes, you think, what am I giving? There is a can of baked beans there that can go on the toast. There's something in the cupboard. There's something there that's stored up ready for when you need it. But if we don't store anything up, you open your cupboard, it's bare. You see, when the enemy comes knocking, the enemy comes in like a flood, the word of God says. But we need to have stored up something. So when he comes knocking, we open the door and we say, no. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. We have to come again because we've got something in the store cupboard that is a declaration of the promises and the intent of God for our lives that strengthens us at that moment in time. Listen, is your cupboard bare? Are you accepting his work? We can't afford to have a bare cupboard because the reality of the spirit realm is great. The work of darkness is to hinder the purposes of God being fulfilled upon the earth. But we are his people. We have been called by his name to accomplish on the earth his work. The greatest thing that we can do with our lives is to say, here I am, Lord, use me. It's the greatest thing, but it's also the most costly thing. Because you are laying down your will you're laying down your might, you're laying down your desires that his purposes may take fulfillment through you upon the earth. Listen, will you store up his commands? Will you fill that cupboard of yours with his goodness? Accepting my words, storing up my commands. Then later on it goes on to say this, turn your ear. Turn your ear. My son, if you accept my words... And store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom. Turning your ear to wisdom. How do we do that? You know, it's like you've got to contemplate, you've got to meditate, you've got to think through, you've got to allow time for that word to enter into you. You've got to listen to it. You've got to receive it. You're listening for what God has to say. You're turning your ear. Let me hear. You want to hear that still, small voice. You want to hear that being spoken to you. You want to listen. You want to contemplate. You want to consider. You want to think through what you are learning of God. 
Because after all, really, the fear of the Lord is this, you see him. That's what Isaiah did. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. He saw him. When John turned around, he saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. It's all about, it's about, can I gaze upon him? Turning towards him. Seeing him. Hearing him. I want to turn my ears that I can hear him. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. You see, you're trying to wrestle with the things. Folks, it's not that we don't wrestle. It's not that we don't ask questions. If you think, I never ask questions of the Bible, I, don't, I read it and I think, something like, what is all that about? Be encouraged. We all think like that. We're all wrestling with God. We're seeking to understand. Do you know who God is? He's far abundantly above anything we can ask or imagine. He's enormous. His ways are higher than our ways. So, of course, there's a degree in which we're trying to come up towards him. But from his mouth comes wisdom and understanding. He's the revealer of mystery. He's the God who sees. He's the God who knows. He's the God who can release understanding into our hearts. That's why we seek for him. And that's why we're looking for him. Turning your ear, applying your heart. But then it says, if you call out for insight, call out and cry aloud for understanding. You know, I, I think this in terms of prayer. And I'm sorry, but this is where there is a time, there, listen to me, there is a time for silent prayer but not right now. Not right now. Right now, you're coming to a place of, I've had enough. God, where are you? I need you. I need to call upon your name. I'm calling upon you because I need understanding. Where I'm at is not enough. Now, I don't know, when you get to that place, I'm not silent. When you want answers, you don't just say, You know, when you've been in a situation and you're struggling with somebody with some misunderstanding and suddenly you need, I need an answer, you don't stand there in silence, you start asking questions. And this is what God is saying, listen, it's time for you to ask me some questions. Stop being silent. Come before me. Call out. Cry out. Let something birth from within you and let it come out of you. There's a time, if we really want to connect with prayer, there's something that has to arise from within us and it has to call out. There is the cry from earth that goes up to heaven. It is a realistic cry, and I tell you, when it makes connection in the heavenly realms, there is a realistic answer that comes back. Our God is real. He is real, and he wants to relate with you. He wants to connect with you. Every lie that God is for somebody else, or somebody else is better than you, is a lie. It's corrupted wisdom. No one, no one is good enough. No one is good enough. It's because Jesus has paid the price for us. No one is good enough. Not the person that looks more religious. Not the person who knows more of the Bible than you. Not the person who's nice to old ladies and helps them across the road. No one is good enough. No one is good enough. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I was reading that this week and I tell you, it came into my spirit again. 
Listen, Jonathan, no one is good enough. We all think others are better than us. Somewhere along the line. The truth is no one is good enough. Every one of us need Jesus. Every one of us. And we want to apprehend him. We want to call out to him. We want to find him. We want to cry out to him, God, I need your help. Have mercy upon me, Lord. I have been listening to corrupted wisdom. I have heard the voice of darkness. The media has instructed me. I have become under the wave of oppression from the world. The world has come up. I've loved the world, Lord. Things of the world have started to grip my heart. Lord, release me. Take me from this captivity. Bring me to your presence. I am calling out to you. The heart of a hungry person has to find the presence of God. Has to find the presence of God. You call out for insight. You cry aloud for understanding. That's not just shouting out, it's also with tears. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. When I've said this before, but when you lose your keys, you know there's that moment, you know, you need to go out of the house, you need to get, where are my car keys? Ah, oh, they're on the side where you left them. No, they're not. Well, I, I swear I last saw them. What, what, you know, and you suddenly start asking all these questions. Well, who's moved them? You usually blame somebody else first because you know it's nothing to do with you. And then you realize that as the pressure starts to rise, as in like, I need to be out of the house now. Where are my car keys? I've got to be at work. I've got to catch the train or whatever it is. The pressure starts to go up. You, you know, the tension in the house. You, I mean, we've all been there. What do you do? It gets to the point where you start turning things over. Are they under this cushion? Are they under in the kitchen? You're going everywhere. You're searching everywhere. Get that sense into you because this is what God is saying. This is what it's going to take. We're looking. We're searching. We're seeking. There's an urgency. There's a growing urgency. There's a growing compulsion. And you know, sometimes that feels wearing. I don't know where they are. Do you know where they are? You often start shouting and getting cross and angry. You know you've got to go back to search. You've got to go back. You stop sometimes. Okay, let's calm down. Calm down, everybody. Calm down. We're going to find them. It's okay. Now, let's just think, where haven't we looked? And you go through another thing. And then you remember the jacket you had on. Did you leave them in the pocket of that? And you put that away. Praise God, there they are. And there's that elation. But we know that there's a seeking. And it's not always instantaneous. You have to press on. You have to press on. You have to press on. And that's what Solomon is writing, this wisdom. He says, listen, if you look for this as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Listen, hidden treasure. There's a, there's a bit of a clue there. Hidden. Okay? It's not just on the side. It's hidden treasure. You've got to look for it. So it's searching out. This is going to take looking out. So our five actions are this. If you accept my words, if you store up my commands, if you turn your ear to hear this wisdom, if you cry out, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then in verse 5 it says this, then, then then you will understand the fear of the Lord. 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Folks, we need the fear of the Lord. Why do we need the fear of the Lord? Because we need to find out truth. We need to find out what is true, and we need to find out what is right. We have been walking in corrupted wisdom. You know where Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. That was the revelation that he received when he came into the presence of God. The revelation that we need to receive is this. Look, we are a people that have been, had our minds corrupted and we're acting with corrupted thinking. And we dwell in a society where thinking has become corrupted. We need to turn our eyes to the Lord. We need to gaze upon him. We need to undertake these actions of accepting his words and storing up his commands and listening to him and seeking him and calling out for him and looking for him. Because then we will understand the fear of the Lord and we will find the knowledge of God. Guys, do you want to come back up? Let me ask you a question. Do you feel as though you have been walking in corrupted wisdom? Is that something that has actually been happening to you? You think like, you know what? My mind has been all over the place. I haven't given myself to this. Do I know the fear of the Lord? Has that really come upon my life? Listen, if you're in that place, you're in the same place as me. I think I've got work to do here. I need to return to the Lord. Corrupted wisdom means we've been actually thinking things that just are not right. You know, we live in a world, in a society, where we're, we're partaking of that society. That, that's what's going on all around us. In, to a degree, it's normal life. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. This world is ruled by the devil. The kingdom of God is outside of this world. But we are in this world as kingdom believers to bring that realm here. That's why the issue of us surrendering and allowing God is so important. Because as we surrender and say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in my life. We're drawing that kingdom from outside and we're saying, let it be made known here. So that where we walk, where we go, we are taking the presence of that kingdom. And we're ministering to people out of the fullness of that kingdom. Believe you me, in this world is a fight. Because there's lots of things that press around us. But that's what we want to do. Have we been walking in corrupted wisdom? We have. I want us to stand up. Let's, before we sing, let's pray. Let's pray into this. Let, let's, let's just what God's putting on your heart. Lord, we, we don't want to walk in corrupted wisdom. We want to walk in your truth. We want to seek your face. We want to ask you, oh God, to help us to return to you. We want to ask for the strength to cry out to him, to receive his word. Let's just bring our words. Let your words rise up before God. But let's, just for a couple of moments, let's pray into this and ask for God to bring this word into our hearts 
and to make it effective in our lives. Father, we are call upon you. We cry out to you, our master, because we need you, oh God. Father, our hearts, our minds have become corrupted by the so-called wisdom of this world, but we want to walk away from that wisdom. We want to walk to your wisdom. We want to be filled with your truth. We want to gaze upon you, oh God. There's so many things that distract, so many things that confuse us, oh God, but we cry to you, Lord. Have